Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. And I'm so happy that you're here today. Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles and go today to a scripture that sometimes is danced around. It's avoided or often misinterpreted. Let's take a look at it this morning. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse nine, we're going to receive the tithes and offerings. I want you to have a good understanding of what this verse is actually saying. Verse nine, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sakes, he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, what I have heard taught when growing up was, uh, you know, a good stab at trying to explain this verse by basically uh, preachers saying that this means that Jesus can make you spiritually rich. And that's what ministers do when they have preconceived ideas about God or about the Bible, and then they're confronted with the truth of the word. Uh, they sometimes try to spiritualize something. And here in this case, um, to make it say what it's not saying is to pull it out of context and really miss the whole point that you through his poverty might become rich. That's exactly what Paul meant that God wants you to be rich. The whole context of chapter eight and chapter nine is about the receiving of an offering. So this is dealing with the area of money, funds given to the church, funds or finances or money giving to the work of God. So to suddenly switch this and say this is about spiritual wealth is really a desperate stab at attempt to redirect and turn the meaning into something else. Okay, let's read it again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, even the word grace, there's a context for that. And in this context, it's referring to the grace of giving. So uh, let's keep that in mind when you see the word grace. For you know the grace of giving of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. When, where, how? At the cross. That's where he became poor. And trust me, nobody gambles or contends for the clothing of a poor person. And so they gambled for his outer garment because it was very valuable. So he became poor at Calvary. Show me one time in scripture where Jesus was ever going around begging for a handout. Never. Not only is he supplied, he's sending others out. Think about the financial strength of the Lord's ministry that when he started his ministry, not a year or two down the road, but when he started his ministry, he immediately started with a full-time staff of 12 workers, not part-time. They're all full-time. So you have to have money coming in and also to have a treasurer. That means somebody is taking care of the money, overseeing the money. I've never met a homeless person ever in my life who has a treasurer. So we cannot technically say that Jesus in his earthly ministry was poor. He became poor at Calvary. Mm -mm. And also any good Jewish person would know as Jesus was Jewish and completely versed in the Torah and the Tanakh, the old Testament, any Jewish person would know that poverty was always associated with the curse and the curse was always connected to what disobedience. 
And Jesus is the sinless Lamb of God. It would be literally impossible for him to have poverty or lack or insufficiency operating in his life because he's a sinless person. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, it says, yet for your sakes he became poor at Calvary, okay, on the cross, that you through his poverty might become rich. So there was a divine exchange that took place at Calvary where Jesus has made it possible for you and I through his finished work at the cross to become rich. But notice that it says that you might be there's, there's no guarantee that you're going to step into what he's made available for you. But I sure hope to persuade you to do that. You might be, in other words, there's our part that we have to play to receive what he made available for us at Calvary. I know there's some that take contention with that. They think Jesus has done it all. There's nothing more for us to do. Well, that's like a sinner saying, well, if Jesus did it all, I guess I can just go to heaven. No, you have to receive what he did for you. And that receiving implies there's things that you have to do to receive it. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I don't feel like calling upon the name of the Lord. Well, then you're lost in your sins. We have a part to play in everything that Jesus has provided for us. So we, we must know our part. We must know the things that are our responsibility. I want to share that God has a plan for his people. That's you to be made rich, to expand his kingdom and to spread the gospel worldwide. I'm sharing with you how you can step into might be made rich. Praise God. Remember that the primary purpose of God empowering you financially is to enable you to represent the interest of his kingdom. Okay. If you get that nailed down and if you get that solidified within the core of your understanding of how God's kingdom works, you're on your way to becoming rich. The primary purpose of God empowering you financially is to enable you to represent the interest of his kingdom. If you don't have an interest in that, he doesn't have an interest in making you wealthy. Praise the Lord. Now, God releases the power to get wealth upon you to the degree which you are committed to his kingdom financially. I want to say it again. I, I want these things to be developed in your understanding. God releases the power to get wealth upon you to the degree to which you are committed to his kingdom financially. So if you're not committed to God's agenda, then he's not committed to making you rich. It's just as simple as that. Praise God. So we have to understand that Jesus has positioned things where we might become rich, but we must play our part. When you stop being committed to his kingdom financially, the anointing on your finances will begin to die. I've seen it happen to countless, countless church members, countless Christians over the years of my walk with God. I've seen as they lose an interest in God's kingdom and furthering God's kingdom, God has taken a, a, a loss of interest in their well-being financially. And the next thing you know, those that once were flying high, they're not flying too high anymore, or the enemy has crept in because now they're not tithing. Now the enemy has legal permission by their, by their behavior to come in and do what he does really good, which is to devour. Mm, mm, mm. 
It's always strange to me why some can't figure it out. <laughs> they can't quite seem to figure it out. Uh, they don't want to look into the mirror of God's Word because they know it is an expression of absolute truth. So they always dance around these types of things. Praise God. So, in order for God to keep His hand on your finances, you must keep your hand on the kingdom plow. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just hearing this, some of you right now are getting recalibrated. Look at this with me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 62. But Jesus said to him, No one, that includes you and I, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. If you begin to lose an interest in God's kingdom and his kingdom agenda and what's on his heart, and now you're self-consumed with your own interest, God, God's anointing will begin to lift off of your finances. Mm -mm. My friends, as you enlarge your kingdom dream, you are actually enlarging your capacity for God's provision to flow into your life. So you need to be actively engaged in the furtherance of God's kingdom, the great commission of seeing the gospel go through the whole world. And as you enlarge your kingdom dream to connect with that, then God enlarges his release of provision into your life. Praise the Lord. So as we are seeing today, it takes a total commitment to God's kingdom in order to sustain the flow a financial blessing, not a half-baked effort. You have to be all in. It takes a total commitment to God's kingdom in order to sustain the flow of financial blessing. My friends, you can't trick God. You can't deceive God. He sees everything. He sees actions. He sees words. He sees motives. He sees everything. And if you're not dialed in completely to his interest, that for many is why there is never more than enough or there's not enough to fulfill the ongoing vision that they know that they're supposed to accomplish. Praise God. So what we need to do is we need to keep our hands on the kingdom plow, and we need to step into the wealth and the riches that Jesus has made available for us through that divine exchange on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took the full blast of the penalty of sin, and that all the areas of sin the curse of the law, not only sin, sickness, disease, but also lack, never having enough money, inability to accomplish kingdom desires and, and visions and dreams and goals. Every failure and every tragedy and heartbreak was put on Jesus at the cross, including lack, not enough money. Why? So that we might become rich. He became poor, not so that you can be poor. You don't need any divine empowerment to be poor. All you have to do is stay home every day and not go to work. It'll come. It'll come knocking on your door. It's called lack. It's called not able to pay your mortgage or pay your rent. It's called not able to pay your car payment. That you, you don't need any empowerment. You didn't need Jesus to hang on the cross so you can be poor. But on the cross, he did a divine exchange. He took our poverty and he bore it, paid the penalty for it. Why? So that we can become rich. That's in the good old B-I-B-L-E, and I'm not digging that up out of some vague Old Testament scripture. That is new covenant. That is new covenant theology. Praise the Lord. 
Amen. So receive it into your heart. If somebody says that Christians aren't supposed to be rich, they are spiritually, biblically illiterate. They do not know what they're talking about. And notice that those that might say such statements never actually live it. If they think we're supposed to be poor, let them be poor and go be homeless. Let them go live underneath the bridge somewhere. But see, they'll never do it, yet they'll proclaim it. Mm, 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 mm. Glory, glory to God. So my friends, step into the riches that Jesus has pre-planned for you before the world was ever created. When he mapped out your life and planned out your life, step into it. Let Jesus make you rich. Honor God. Be all in with his kingdom and his plan. And to the furtherance of his kingdom is taking the gospel into the very most remote parts of the world. Hallelujah. Bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse of God and watch what God will do. Praise the Lord. Amen. This should be the most enjoyable time of the week when you're able to honor God with your finances. I see God taking you the heights you've never even dreamed of because you are sold out for him and his kingdom. Glory. Glory to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's bring the tithe and the offering in. The tithe is 10% of all of your increase. Offerings are what you would like to give on top of that as led by the Holy Spirit. Now, for those of you to, uh, who prefer to mail in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. The zip code is 28654. For those of you that prefer to mail in your tithes and offerings, excuse me, or to go online and do so, you can go to our ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There's a link on the homepage that says give has a red heart. You can click that and bring the tithe in right there. If you would like to sow seed, we have a banner that's called projects. It's orange. Click on that and you could take your pick of what you would like to sow into. Praise God. Glory, glory to God. God is moving all over the world right now, transforming those from low financial positions and when I say low, I'm not talking about somebody you maybe that's, you know, uh, just barely making it. Uh, God's, stand, God's view of what low is is different. God wants you to be way up there. That's where he wants to take you. So don't think just because maybe everything's paid and you're doing okay that, uh, you know, you're really seeing the full power of God being displayed. No, let the Lord take you into great levels and realms of financial prosperity so that you can play your role in God's kingdom expansion. Let it consume you. Let God consume you and let his, let his vision for the world harvest consume you. Amen. And watch your finances soar. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father, I speak blessing over the finances of your people. I thank you that the devil, the enemy is the devourer is rebuked. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for supernatural increase because your blessing is supernatural. We thank you that Jesus hung on the cross, not only to redeem us from all of our awful sins, but also to redeem us from poverty. I thank you, Father, we never have to be poor a day in our lives. And we thank you that we reject poverty and lack because it's never of you. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Today, I would like to pick up and continue 
on the subject of the anointing. Last Wednesday, we talked about growing in the anointing, and I really felt in my heart to continue on this subject because what happens is that as you grow in the anointing, begin to get understanding of it, and you recognize the value of it, then we're faced with the question, well, how do we sustain it? So today, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about sustaining the anointing. We're going to begin today in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, and I want to invite you to uh, turn over there with me at this time. Matthew, chapter 25. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your word, we thank you that your word is not an old history book, but it's a living sword. Father, let it do its work today. Let it be alive, fresh, and vital in our lives. We give you all of the praise. Thank you. Thank you for the living word. We consume it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we jump into Matthew 25, um, you know, I've got some grape juice that we're going to use later for communion today. And, you know, this grape juice came out of a sealed container. And so if I left this grape juice just sitting here, probably after about two days, the quality of it is going to be uh, deteriorating very, very quickly. It's exposed now to the open air. And eventually, you know, if I let it sit here long enough, uh, is it the, the air conditioner runs, you know, there's going to be a little bit of dust that might fall in or this or that or the other. So what I'm trying to say is that it's not going to last very long in that type of situation. But with grape juice, you know, you can bottle it. And there are those that uh, sometimes spend rare amounts of money to open up the very rare bottle of wine. How many of you have heard some of the stories about the 100-year-old bottle that was maybe found at an ancient vineyard or something like that? And, you know, people are, are, are going to auction to see who will pay the most for it, $2.5 million or whatever the case might be, to open up the rare bottle of wine. Well, the thing is, is that in, in the proper context the grape juice, the wine can be preserved even to the point, think about it, where in this condition it's going to last about two days. But if you preserve it properly, even 100 years from now, somebody can drink it. So wisdom, in other words, has been applied so that these drinks and beverages can be preserved and preserved in the right way. Uh, you know, vacuum sealed and everything else, it can really go a long time. My friends, in the same way, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it also can be preserved. And I would say this, this is one of the reasons why I want to talk about this today, that Christians who do not know how to maintain the anointing will, will eventually lose it. I mean, it's, it's just a given. If they don't know what it takes to maintain it, to sustain that anointing, they're going to lose it. And we don't want that to happen. So it is possible to sustain the anointing. Actually, you can actually sustain it all the way to the grave. And you can be like a person such as the prophet Elisha that carried that anointing all the way to the point of the grave. And even after he's dead, there's still a residual anointing. Now, that's pretty amazing. Praise God. So like Elisha, the anointing potentially can outlive you. Wow. Think about that for a moment. That's a very interesting concept. I won't branch off too much into that because uh, that opens up a whole new subject. But 
Recently, I saw a video of uh, this man that he acquired uh, one of these MREs. That's what uh, uh, stands for like military. What does that stand for? I think I maybe wrote it down somewhere. Well, I did, but I think I don't have it on these notes. Military uh, replacement something other. But it's a meal. It's basically a meal that soldiers eat. Well, this man found a unopened, perfectly preserved 1942 uh, allied soldier American military meal. It's the same thing that our soldiers ate during World War II when out on the field and it had never, ever been opened. So it's sitting there all sealed up. And he's thinking, I wonder if it's any good. And he's going to taste, he's going to open it and taste everything in it. So remember, this was 1942. So he opens it up. Uh, this was just, uh, I think, in 1920. Uh, excuse me, uh, 2022. That's a big difference. Yes. So he's going to open this. And we're like a, almost at 80 years later, and he opens it, and uh, there's, there's everything in there from little biscuits to some meat and coffee, and everything is packaged in its own little separate thing, all put in a sealed can, but everything's wrapped in wax and et cetera, so forth. He opens up every single thing, and every single thing in there is good. From the little biscuits, the coffee's still good, the biscuits are good, the main entree is good, even the gum, the chewing gum that was put in there almost 80 years ago was still perfect. Amazing. Why? They had figured out how to preserve it. Praise the Lord. Now, you know, the soldier who didn't eat that meal back in 1942, for whatever, you know, set it aside, probably had no idea that somebody would open that up, you know, almost 80 years later and find it still perfectly edible. Praise God. My friends, there's no copyright when it comes to the anointing. There's no expiration date when it comes to the anointing. So we need to understand how to sustain the anointing. And trust me, if they can figure out how to do it with grape juice or, you know, uh, a small meal packet, I believe God also helps us to understand how to sustain the anointing. And we find one of the greatest examples in Matthew chapter 25, because the number one thing that you need to sustain the anointing is the wisdom of God. Let's take a look. Verse one, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now remember oil uh, in the, in the scriptures often represents the Holy spirit and the anointing of the Holy spirit. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, excuse me. Now verse Verse three, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins. Now remember, they're all virgins. They're all pure in a sense. We understand that they arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But wisdom, the wise, answered, saying, 
no. My friends, sometimes you have to be able to say no. I know that we want to please all people, but there is a place where you must have the strength. Wisdom dictates that in some situations you simply say no. No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. The Bible calls it foolishness not to know how to sustain the oil of the spirit. So the opposite of foolishness is wisdom. So it takes wisdom to preserve the anointing. Woo. Praise God. Now we do have to ask ourselves then what actually is wisdom. And while there are many different definitions of wisdom, because it's such a vast subject and a beautiful subject, let me show you a very simple definition of wisdom. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, and this is a definition that Jesus gives himself. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to go to verse 24. Jesus says here, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Praise God. What is wisdom? Wisdom is hearing what God says about something and doing it. Isn't that simple? It's simple, but it's very profound. Wisdom is just hearing what God says about something and doing that. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended. The floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. A man or woman who does the word of God can go and take a break. They can rest and relax. They can forget about the rain. They can not be concerned about the storm or wind because his or her house is built on a rock. And because of that, listen to me, it can never, ever fall. Woo! Praise God. That's why it's critical to walk in the wisdom of God. Know what he says. Do what he says. Now you're walking in wisdom. Now your life is built on the rock. Your marriage is built on the rock. Your business is built on the rock. Your ministry is built on the rock. And everything you have is set upon something that can never be shaken or destroyed. That's the word of God. That's the wisdom of God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So in order to sustain the anointing, the number one thing that you're going to need operating in your life is the wisdom of God. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord forever. Number two. The number two thing that you need to sustain the anointing is to know that it takes consecration. Consecration means you are separated to God and you've turned your back on sin. You've turned your back on distractions. You've turned your back on foolishness. You've turned your back on silliness. You've turned your back on time killers and uh, time destroyers. And my friends, you are consecrated to the work of God, and you're very cognizant of sustaining that anointing. Let me say that if you become comfortable with sin, 
you are in danger. You're in a dangerous, perilous place of losing the anointing. Praise God. This is why we need to understand consecration. Let's go to the book of Proverbs. I want to read a scripture to you from the first chapter and verse 23. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. See, that's an anointing. Anytime the Holy Spirit is poured on you, that's an anointing. But there is the turning away from any form of sin. So turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So sin causes the words of God not to be known. Sin is one of the great blockers of revelation. It is one of the great blockers of catching those uh, unveiling moments of the word, those power encounters. So my friends, we want to be able to understand those words, know them, and that requires turning at any rebuke from the Lord. And the scriptures are as a living sword, and they can certainly bring that holy, pure, helpful rebuke. Praise God. Now, let's look at the lives of a few individuals from the, from the Bible who, in the area of consecration, they didn't get it right. And one of those individuals, of course, would be Samson. And now remember with Samson, uh, as we go to the book of Judges, I want to go to Judges chapter 13. Remember with him that he had a phenomenal anointing. Matter of fact, he was anointed in his mother's womb. Whoo! So a uh, very rare anointing. He actually had uh, some unusual gifts operating in his life as a judge. He had the gift of special faith, and he also had the gift of the working of miracles operating in his life. That's what was giving the power and that supernatural strength to him, the manifestation of the Spirit through working of miracles. Now, Judges chapter 13, notice verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful. Be careful. Please, my friends, listen to these types of instructions. This is not play stuff with the anointing. You have to be careful with the anointing. Please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. There are certain requirements. There are certain things that God expects you to do in order to sustain the anointing. He is the one that gives the anointing as we seek him. We talked about how to increase the anointing last Wednesday. But today we're talking about once you've got it, how to sustain it. And it was certainly given in a very strong measure to Samson. But my friends, uh, he had a tragic ending because of some issues in his life that he never got corrected. And that all dealt with the area of consecration. And he played around in this area of very loose morals until he ran into Delilah. And she took him to town. And by the time it was all done, he's got the uh, unforgettable haircut experience. Uh, 
and he ends up going into captivity. Now remember, they gouged his eyes out. That's one of the things that sin can do. It causes you to lose your spiritual vision. It causes you to lose prophetic perception. And Samson was humiliated before the Philistines, and they gouged his eyes out and made him work like a, uh, they, they so degraded him in so many ways with the things they did to him. But we see this in Judges chapter 16, Judges 16, and verse 20. Verse 20. And she said, that would be Delilah, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. So you have to really value the anointing, because that's what's empowering you to have this exceptional quality to your life. And I know, I know it's an invisible thing. I know it's what they would call an intangible. Well, it's, let me say it like this. It's very tangible, but it's not something like a notepad or a pulpit that we can touch. It is it is coming from the Holy Spirit resting upon you. You already have an anointing within, but this anointing upon, you have to learn how to sustain it. That also includes guarding it and protecting it from those things out there that would love to see it polluted, defiled, and broken off of your life. Praise God. But we're going we're gonna to walk in areas of protection and safety. And that, again, all comes around to the area of consecration. Let me say that it is, this is very interesting. It is one thing to be anointed, but it is an entirely different thing to stay anointed all the way to the end. And it's, it, takes, uh, it takes wisdom, it takes a lot of consecration, and you have to stay on it every single day to make it all the way to the end. And there have been some that have had phenomenal anointings, and they carried it. Some carried it even pretty close towards the end, but at the end it started falling apart. Um, Catherine Kuhlman was a mighty woman of God. And some of the strongest healing miracles in church history actually were flowing through her uh, and her ministry. But towards the end, there really was, we have to be honest, there was a great breakdown of the anointing. Jamie Buckingham wrote, even wrote about this in the book, Daughter of Destiny. He talked about how towards the end of Catherine's life, she was so busy and she had so much stuff going on and she had... So many uh, problems erupting in her ministry. Uh, uh, she had uh, some treachery. She had some disloyalty. She had some lawsuits going on. And, uh, and she was just run ragged. And she had a heart problem. And the doctor said, if you don't slow down, you're going you're gonna to die a premature death. And she didn't slow down. She kept the schedule going like haywire. And she got all this going on. And see, all these things were breaking into her devotional life to the point where Jamie Buckingham stood on, a, on the platform one time when she was ministering, and he said, she's just going through the motions. She's going through the motions. And there were some healings, but he said, the, he said that's just God doing that. He said, he, he's doing it even in spite of Catherine, because she had gotten to a place where she, uh, she's calling things out. 
Uh, God, I give you glory. I give you praise. Take the anointing. And he said sometimes people would just fall out, uh, you know, <laughs> go along with it. But uh, sad, sad, really. But we have to, we have to, you know, read these biographies. We have to, um, we have to look into these things because there are those that took it all the way to the end. Was she a great woman of God? Yes, exceptional, ultra rare, <laughs> and did the best that she could. Um, I, I wish it could have ended better for her. And. Uh, you know, I now remember when I say these things, I talk about this. I understand one day I'm going to be standing in front of these people. So I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to say, we want to take it all the way to the end. Preferably let it, let, let it continue on. You know, Derek Prince passed away years ago. His ministry is still flowing. His books and videos, they're still being pumped out. There's still a full-time staff running his ministry. He's not even on the planet anymore. He died years ago. <laughs> Catherine Kuhlman should have been the same way, should have been the same way. And it's, uh, it's disappointing to see these types of things, but others, they made it all the way to the end and it's still going today. Look at Kenneth Hagin. He passed away in 2003. His materials are still spanning the globe. Uh, his books are still in print. The ministry is still going. Why? He carried that anointing all the way to the end. To the day he died, it was still on him, still on. Him. He was revelant and fresh even to the last day. He's still holding conferences, five day conferences when he was in his 80s. And so he carried that all the way to the end. Padre Pio carried that incredible prophetic anointing all the way to the end, still had the full stigmata in his body all the way to the end. The moment he died, the stigmata disappeared. Wow. At, at his funeral, there were one million people at his funeral. But that prophetic gift that was so rare, it was a phenomenal anointing. He carried it all, all the way to the end. Joseph of Cupertino, the saint known in church history as the flying monk, carried that anointing all the way to the end. Matter of fact, when the doctor was ministering to him on his deathbed, the doctor was shocked and noticed He's not even lying on the bed. He's, he's, he's like floating. <laughs> he's floating five inches off the bed. Yes, those that lived at the monastery said he actually spent more time in the air than he did on the ground. Mm -mm -mm. But he carried it all the way to the end. That's why his hagiography is still being read today, 300 years after his death. It's still circulating the globe. Why? Because they carried it the right way. If we can figure out how to do it with grape juice <laughs> and bottle it for a hundred years, yes, the anointing can go even longer. Glory, glory to God. I want this message to affect the way you think with your life, your purpose, and even your legacy. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's look for a moment at the life of Gehazi. Second Kings chapter five. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Second Kings chapter five. Glory to God. Second Kings five. By the way, the book Daughter of Destiny, I would recommend if you have any interest in the anointing, get that book and read it. You can read the whole book probably in two days. Uh, phenomenal book on the life and ministry 
of a healing evangelist with an outrageous healing anointing, and also a pretty hefty word of knowledge gift that accompanied that. All right, let's move on. Gehazi, 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's go to verse, let's go to verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian. Let's pause just for a moment. That's a very, very troubling statement to read that. It kind of almost makes you cringe. Listen to it again. This is what Gehazi said about Naaman, the Syrian army general. Remember, Naaman's an outsider. He's not Jewish. He's not in on the covenant. But Naaman has great respect for Jehovah God, and he wants in on the, on the healing and anointing, and he got a miracle, and, he has, and so his heart has been given over to God. But that doesn't mean anything to Gehazi. He's only got one thing on his mind. How can we get money out of that sucker? Isn't that pathetic? It's sick. <laughs> That's awful. Look, anytime, not just in ministry, but in anywhere or any occupation or any place, if all you have on your mind is how can you exploit that person or this situation to put money in your pocket, you're on your way to completely self-destructing the anointing upon your life. No matter how high up you may be, even if you are next in line for that anointing, you're looking at a total implosion and a loss of everything. And you can already see it coming for Gehazi because he never got it fixed. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, look, my master has spared Naaman, the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Oh, he got something all right. Yeah, he got a little bit of money, got a couple uh, exchanges of clothing, but he also got the curse of leprosy and he got walloped with it. Oh, it hit him and it hit him hard. Mm. But see, these areas of, uh, of covetousness or greed or just a focus on money instead of focus on the heart of God and God's kingdom, these things, I'm telling you, they can, they can destroy the anointing. We see it even previously that he didn't get this fixed in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Then he said that to Gehazi, this is the instructions of Elisha. He said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. Why? What's going on here? A prophet, Elisha, who really understands the anointing. When you are sent on divine assignment, you're carrying something. And it's not like you're carrying this, like a notepad, and you can sit it down, pick it back up. No, no, no. You're carrying the anointing. And if anything causes you to drop or even spill some of it, it's going to affect its power ability. And that's why you don't want to have any kind of unnecessary talk unnecessary distraction. You stay completely dialed in. This is life or death. Either there's going to be a resurrection here, or we're going to have something that's really going to cause somebody to have a lot of pain and agony. So there's a lot riding on the anointing. And there's a lot of people that don't understand that. And they get upset. Well, so-and-so didn't say hi to me. Maybe he's on divine assignment. 
Maybe, maybe it wasn't a bad mood. Who knows? But maybe, just maybe, if that's a great man or woman of God, maybe that they're walking in the anointing and they cannot risk getting pulled out of it. That's why Oral Roberts always ate a meal by himself before the healing service that, that evening. And the instructions to the whole team, don't talk to him. Why? He's been in prayer all day. He has been seeking God. He, he's going to have a small meal. Don't go up there and start talking to him about the weather. He's getting ready to move in the spirit. Mm, th look, look, this is Pentecostal ABCs. So we're going to skip over some of this, but these are things that the church needs to learn quickly, or you could end up pouring out and spilling it before you get to your destination. Oh, 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 wow. Mm, I could go further with this. Maybe I can loop back to a story, but I'll, let me go a little bit further and finish this out here. Verse 30, and the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. So he has given instructions for Gehazi to lay the staff, the anointed staff of the great prophet on the child's dead body. So now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. So he did exactly what he was instructed to do, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him saying the child was not awakened. Gehazi, there was your opportunity for that prophetic gift to really rise in you, but he can't, he can't. Why? Because covetousness and love of money are absolute anointing blockers. They will shut down the anointing. Wow. And he, he's, he's the guy to carry it on. Elijah, Elisha, Gehazi, you're next in line. And he can't do it. He's blocking the anointing. And you see it come out in the next chapter with uh, Naaman and all the greed. Wow. And that's why it didn't work. That's why it's not working. Praise God. So we have to watch these areas very, very closely of our personal consecration. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Here's a, a good uh, scripture. Second Timothy chapter two. I like this. Let's go there. Second Th Timothy chapter two. And let's drop down the verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows those are his. And if you name the name of Christ, you really mean it. Get away from any and every form of iniquity, twistedness, corruption. Get away from it. Praise God. Watch the, the level of consecration. Remember, your security is in your purity, your, your security, that area of anointing. It's associated with your purity. Now let's take a look for a moment at the life of Balaam, a very, very extremely anointed prophet. Some people say that uh, he's operating under occult power. He, he had mixture about his, his methods and his methodology but the anointing flowing through him was pure Holy Spirit because he could prophesy like crazy. He, and he could get it right every single time. He had, a, he had an anointing, a tremendous anointing upon him. We cannot 
deny that. But oh, he had it all messed up in the area of consecration and lost it all. Second Peter chapter two, verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor who loved, Oh, he just loved it. Who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He didn't, he didn't care if the money was dirty or filthy. He wanted that dirty money. He didn't care what it took to get it or how it came into his hand. Lie, cheat, steal didn't matter to him. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. Even if he had to curse God's own people. Mm -mm. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. See, he had iniquity working in him. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Yes, he was a prophet. Even Peter the apostle acknowledges that he was a prophet. Balaam polluted the prophetic gift. He polluted the prophetic anointing. You know, some years back, there was a mighty prophet that I had the opportunity to meet. And so my wife and I went to meet him. And in order to kind of conceal this a little bit, let me just, uh, you know, cause I, some of the, a lot of these stories, I can't, I can't, I don't want to ever give names, but some decades back, some decades back, the world's leading evangelist said, Oh, I wish I could come across a real prophet. I mean, I, I'm talking about a prophet that can really, you know, unveil the secrets of your heart. And somebody said, Oh, I know somebody like that. And the evangelist said, well, I'd like to meet one. I'd really like to meet somebody like that. And so they brought somebody to him and it's this, it was this prophet. And, uh, and he, when you talking about, you know, when, when this evangelist and the other minister said, well, would you minister? And well, he ministered and, uh, yeah, he bought the firepower. And, uh, I mean, he's like seen through people like <laughs> he's calling out things only God could know. And he's doing it over and over and over and over and phenomenal anointing. Well, uh, that, that made him famous. And then they put him all over TV and he's on TV all the time and stuff like that. And, um, Pastor Stephen, what's he doing today? Nothing. Nothing. It's like he went, went completely off the map. Well, I had, a, I had an opportunity to meet him before he went off the map. And I wanted relationship with him as far as friendship. I wanted to be friends with him. And uh, I wasn't wanting him to be like my spiritual covering or something. I wanted to be friends. Because we, uh, you know, um, well, I won't, I won't go any further we had some similarities. And so when I went to meeting for the first time, you know, he didn't want to talk about anything spiritual. He didn't want to talk about ministry. He didn't want to talk about, um, uh, you know, the anointing or the prophetic. He didn't want to talk about any of that. He wanted to talk about one thing. He said, Stephen, you see that man sitting over there? I said, yeah. He said in one year, that man will be the wealthiest man in the world. And he works for me. Well, they had formed a, a corporation and they had some proprietary knowledge that they thought was going to make them wealthy. 
And they, you know, I heard all, I heard the whole pitch, you know, the, there's government contracts with the Pentagon and, uh, you know, Department of Defense, and they want this product and it's going to revolutionize, air, you know, this certain area and it's going to bring billions and billions and billions of dollars in. And uh, he'll be the richest man in the world. And this prophet said that he said, and that he said that, that will make me, you know, a person that will overnight have easily over hundred million and it'll just climb and go from there. And he said, of course, I'm going to give most of it away. And that's all he wanted to talk about. You know, the worst part of it is that he tried to get all of his, all of those who followed his ministry to uh, invest into this investment. And he had family members give their life savings into it and stuff like that. He, of course, he wanted me to get in on it also. And Kelly and I didn't get in on that. And because of that, it seemed like he didn't have much of an interest in me as a man of God. And so uh, it's like every time I tried to talk to him or get around him, it's like that's all he was focused on. He, he completely got sidetracked and he was, wasn't interested in God or the kingdom or the rare crazy anointing that he once walked in. It's like he totally forgot about it. What happened? The, the so-called business blew up. It never happened. All the hoop, all the, uh, all of the, you know, fanfare and all of this and all of that. And I would suspect it left a lot of unhappy and disgruntled people. So he had to move quite a ways away and like restart. Wow. Look, I've, I've seen things like this and Balaam was just, he's just after money. And I'm not saying that this great prophet that I'm giving this, veiled example of was solely after money. But I would say this, I've never seen him once operate in the anointing that he once operated in and an anointing that once made some of the world's most well-known ministers say, wow, <laughs> that's incredible anointing. That is not flowing anymore at all. And he was willing to trade that for a pie in the sky dream of becoming wealthy. You know what wealthy billionaires or multimillionaires are who don't have God? They are people with money who are spiritually bankrupt. And, you know, that, that, that's, that's the truth of it. That's, that's, that is the truth of it. They may be happy in a sense. You know, they've got their needs met. They have a calm, peaceful life, whatever the case might be. They have fame, notoriety, or whatever. But if you don't have God, you're spiritually bankrupt. So, um... What does it matter if you gain the whole world to lose your own soul? Mm -mm. Watch, watch these things. I sat, I sat in a service one time where a very well-known pastor said, I've just made an investment and this investment that I've made, Oh, God shows me that God's going to multiply it seven times over. And he was all excited because he had pulled other people into this investment. That was a no fail opportunity. Well, I sat in that service and I thought, that's weird. He shouldn't be talking about stuff like that from the pulpit. Uh, hope that works out for him. But if not, uh, well, I went to another state after that meeting. I went to another state and uh, Kelly and I were ministering in this other state and we had a businessman come and he wanted to make a private confession. He said, Pastor Stephen, something's great on my heart. I, I've got to confess this. I've tried to get it to God, but I feel like I need somebody I could, a human that I can confess it to. 
I said, well, let's go over here. And my wife and I went over to the side, and he wanted to share it with us. And um, he poured his heart out, and he said, he said, Pastor Stephen, I've, I've been involved in a scam. And I'm currently involved in it where me and these couple of other guys, we put together this scam, and we pulled all these ministers into it and named the minister that I'd just been sitting in the church meeting before, just days earlier, he's telling everybody how he's going to make all this money. And this, this business, this corrupt businessman told me, he said, all these ministers think that they have all this money coming in very soon. He said, they don't know. We took all their money and we've spent it all. There is no money, nothing there. It's gone. It's all gone. We've all spent it, spent it on cars, spent it on wild, reckless living, stuff like that. There is no money. It's all gone. And he said, we have, we've, we've uh, stolen all their money and he's, he's repenting, he's confessing. And I won't go into how that, you know, what, what kind of happened with that. But I'm just saying my, my friends, these areas of consecration, you better watch out because when you know the value of the anointing and you come into it, there will be things out there that it's almost like the devil presents it to you on a platter and says, here it is. You know, you've always wanted it. And, um, but what you don't know is there's a, there's a chain that's hooked into that. And if you take it the devil's way, he's got you. And there's so, there's so much crazy stuff out there. So you must have the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God, because my wife and I, the Lord has always protected us. We have not gotten involved in those crazy things, but you must, you must walk in consecration and you must understand the value of the anointing. Mm -mm. There are some things people tell me, I'm like, Hey, that's nice. If that makes you super wealthy, great. But I can't get in that because I'm not having anything to do with that because of the anointing that would affect the anointing. And, uh, I, I am, I am into guarding the anointing. Praise God. Cause when I put my hands on people, I want that anointing to flow. Praise God. And there is no money. There is no money that can substitute for that. You either have it or you don't praise the Lord. Mm. And if you lose it, like Samson, you're powerless. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Pastor Stephen, I'm, I'm, you're, you're scaring me. Good. I want to scare all the, 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 the stupidity. I'd call it silly, foolish, stupidity type stuff out of you. Let the Holy Spirit burn that out of you. Praise the Lord. Now let's look at somebody that got it right. Look at the life of Samuel. Samuel the prophet had a national, not local, had a national testimony of integrity. And he was anointed also all the way to the very end of his life. He carried that anointing. First Samuel chapter 12. And I pray that such a statement would be something that you can also make when you reach the end of the line. For Samuel chapter 12, verse 3. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. This is Samuel's farewell address before the nation. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? No hands go up. Or whose donkey have I taken? No hands go up. Now remember, he's a powerful prophet with national 
influence. If he wanted to take something or manipulate something or pull strings, he could make things happen. Okay. But he did not do any of those things or whom have I cheated? Not one hand in the entire nation goes up. Mm -mm. Whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? Not one hand goes up. Mm. Wow. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from man's hand. Then he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. May you have such a testimony. Mm -hmm. But if you've compromised in those areas, make it right with God. Make it right with God. And if need be, make it right with man. If there is some means of restitution, make that right. Praise the Lord. What about the life of the Apostle Paul? Let's take a look at him in the area of consecration. Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. And verse 15. He said, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. That is a dedicated man who was living a consecrated life. And he had a tremendous, tremendous anointing upon his life. He was not going to sell that out or compromise that for anything, much less for an ox or donkey. Woo. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Number three, to sustain the anointing, it takes dedication. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one, drop down to verse eight. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Let me pause just for a moment and say thank you to all of our ministry partners that have helped us to expand the Pure Gold TV program. We are broadcasting, we are broadcasting three times a week in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and also to the other most parts of the world, as far away as the Seychelles Islands, off in the Indian Ocean. Thank you for making that possible. Praise God. My friends, let me say that the essence of the anointing is so that you can be a witness. That's the purpose. Praise God. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Mm -mm. The essence of the anointing is so that you can be a witness, a witness for Jesus. When you are committed to representing him, he in turn commits himself to supply you with the anointing that's needed to keep you on assignment. Praise God. I want to say it again. When you are fully committed to representing him, he in turn commits himself 
to supply you with the anointing that's needed to keep you on assignment. Woo! Praise God. Look at this in Mark chapter 3. Mm-mm. Mark chapter 3. I like this a lot. Say, I'm staying on assignment. Mark 3, verse 31. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them. Now, think of it. He's teaching a multitude, and his mother and brothers are trying to interrupt him and get him to come out and, quote, talk some sense into him, unquote. Mm-mm. Isn't that amazing? But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? Wow. There's no question about who's in charge here. There's no question about who's the Messiah. Mm-mm. And he looked around in a circle at those who said about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Praise the Lord. What do you mean, Pastor Stephen? I mean, don't leave your post. Don't come off your assignment. Dedication is what is required to maintain the anointing. Can you imagine how foolish it would look? Jesus right in the middle of an anointed teaching session Somebody says, uh, your mother wants you outside. She's got a bag of groceries for you. Oh, oh, y'all, y'all, excuse me. Uh, I'll be right back. When mama calls, uh, I got to answer. They'd have thought, now, uh, I tell you, right, we thought maybe this could be the Messiah. He's running off to see what mama wants to have. Uh, no, no, stay on your post. That's what keeps the anointing flowing. Woo. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, Lord. The anointing is for service, not just for sitting around or not just for going off and trying to apply it in weird areas. No, 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 no. It's for service in that area of your assignment. Stay on it. Don't leave it. Number, number four, number four, to sustain the anointing, it takes the word of God. Praise the Lord. Look at Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs 26. And let's go down to verse 20. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. My friends, this is not complicated science. But when you and I stop putting wood on the fire, the fire is bound to go out. Any man or woman who has maintained, now watch this, who has maintained his or her anointing over a long period of time will always be someone with an unbroken fellowship with the Word of God. And you're going to need joy to flow in the revelation of God's Word. You're going to need joy to flow in the revelation of God's Word. Why? Because without joy, you cannot draw water out of the wells of salvation. I've tried it. Does it work? <laughs> I know many of you could raise your hand and say, yeah, I've tried it too. It doesn't work. This is why, listen carefully. 
This is why the enemy strives so hard to make you depressed. And I'm not saying everybody, of course, watching me is depressed, but some of you, there's a real struggle in this area and the enemy really tries to ratchet the gears down to get you into depression, to keep you in a place of depression because he knows you cannot have access to the mysteries of the word when you are in a depressed state. You can't. Maybe you've, you've discovered this. If you're, in a, if you're in a state of mind or in a heart condition where maybe you're angry or you're really upset and you're depressed, something's really bothering you, and you pick up the Bible and you try to read it, I tell you what, it's, trying, it's like trying to decipher advanced physics. It doesn't, you, you can't get anything out of it. Why? There's no joy. There's no joy. You have to be in the right frame of heart to have this book speak to you. In order to put the wood on the fire, you have to put the wood on the fire with a joyful heart. Look at this in Psalm 100. Praise the Lord. Glory. Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful shout, a joyful shout, not a moaning and a groaning and a, and a wailing and a crying. And I understand that we work through various emotions in life, but when you want God to talk to you, you're going to have to get in the right frame. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Look, if you're going around in sadness all the time, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Serve the Lord with gladness. Mm -mm. Can you imagine trying to serve the Lord with depression? You're not going to be very effective in your service. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence. How? With singing. Knowing that the Lord, He is God, it is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and, in his, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Oh, that's big. Show thanksgiving. Thank God for your car. Thank God for your spouse. Thank God that you have a home. Thank God for your socks and your shoes and for food in the refrigerator. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. When you come into his presence with joy, you have encounters with his living word. If you don't, it's like advanced mathematics. It's like theoretical physics. You're just like, I ain't getting nothing out of this. You have to have the joyful heart. And that, that joy is also uh, more fully released as you come into the Lord's presence the proper way. Thanksgiving, praise, ex singing, etc. This is, by the way, why David had continual revelations, deep revelations of the Word of God. Why? He was a joyful man. I mean, he's writing psalms where he is getting prophetic insight about the Messiah. He's writing Psalm 22, and he's talking about what's going to happen to the Messiah in a very, very accurate way. How is he getting these types of word revelations? Because he was a joyful uh, man. He was always singing songs to the Lord. Praise God. So my friends, 
to sustain the anointing, it takes the word. You're going to need that strength. But remember, joy has a lot to do with the way that revelation flows. I want you to lift up your hands. I want to pray for you. Because many of you, God's not only bringing you into a strong anointing, but there's also new anointings. Some of you are coming, it's like you're coming into a new room and a new garment is being placed upon your life. And when it happens, you'll know what to do with it. You will, you will remember this message that I taught today. Praise God. Praise God. Matter of fact, we're going to see some very rare, unique anointings begin to come back into the body of Christ. Some that have literally not been seen anywhere on earth for 300, 400 years. Praise God. I could give a few examples of them, but I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit pick and choose what he wants in this area of his moving. Praise the Lord. Lift your hands. Father, I pray for your people watching today. I thank you, Father God, that uh, there has been a divine shaking today and a divine settling. There's a shaking, so there might be a settling. And I thank you, Father, let your people come into the fresh anointing and what it is that you have for them. And may they go forth with great grace and as a great testimony of you. Now, thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you're watching today's program and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then today is your day of salvation. I want you to pray this prayer after me. I'm, I want you to invite Jesus into your heart. The moment you pray it, he will save you immediately. Your sins will be forgiven and you will belong safe to him. Pray this right now. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but Jesus, you died for me on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. Jesus, today I give you my life. Come into my heart, wash my sins away, write my name in your book of life. And Jesus, from this day forward, step into my life and lead me and guide me. Jesus, thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Glory. Lift your hands and thank the Lord for saving you. Lord, we give you praise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Now I invite everyone under the sound of my voice to take holy communion. Praise the Lord. This is for all believers. Praise God. Please grab some grape juice, grab a little cracker, a little piece of unleavened bread, and let's pray. We're going to consecrate this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We consecrate it. That is, we set it apart through this prayer as being holy. And we thank you that this kingdom mystery, this is now the flesh and the blood of Jesus. We thank you for it. Father, as we receive the Lord's flesh, we thank you for his word coming into us. We thank you for the anointing being sustained. We give you praise and glory. We give you all of the glory. Thank you, O oh God, for a fresh, strong anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us now receive his flesh.
Praise God. Fresh oil coming upon you today. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that as we take communion today, that we are in union with Christ. What's him, what's in him is being worked into us. Thank you, Father God, that what is not found in Jesus must not be found in us. We thank you, Father, that communion is making that a living reality. We thank you, O God, that as we receive the blood of Jesus, we thank you, O God, that we are walking in your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and say, God is good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, bless your people. We thank you that you are a good God and that this is a good week and that good things are happening each day for us. We give you all the praise. We thank you, Father God, for the fresh anointing in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. Go forth. Have a blessed week. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.